So after Jesus gives his instructions to the disciples and talks about his coming death and following him as a disciple, he ends that by saying, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. And suddenly when they had looked around about, they saw no more, no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one another what the rising of the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elias must first come? And he answered and told them, Elias verily cometh first, and restoreth all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things, and be said it not. But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. This morning I'll be preaching on the transfiguration. And what we have before us here is a revelation. In fact, many different ways that God has revealed truth to us here in this portion of God's Word. And what we see is Jesus showing the disciples why He has come. They are starting to put the pieces together, but they, they still don't have it all lined up the way uh, they need to see it. And I think this is a, a revelation, is how we should look at this, a revelation, a revealing of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there at the beginning of verse number one, Jesus begins to teach them that he is the Son of Man. So first we have a revelation of his suffering. Up until the, the end of chapter eight, they have been looking for Jesus to just to continue to grow in popularity, to grow in power, and he hasn't slowed down. He has, nothing has been able to stop his popularity and his power, and they probably just assumed that it would just continue on and on and on. But then we have the revelation of his suffering. The Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected of the elders. He must be rejected of the chief priest. He must be killed, but he will rise again. And for them to follow Christ is to deny themselves. It's not to take a seat next to Jesus in Jerusalem. 
but it is to take up their cross and follow Jesus in a path of suffering, not immediate glory. But Jesus did say, there will be some of you standing that won't taste death until you first see the kingdom of God come in power. It's not that Jesus is not the Christ. That is true. Peter confessed that, and that is correct. He is the Christ. He is the king. And it's not that he won't rule with power and great glory. That is also true. But they're missing some of the parts in the middle. The common view, the view that we can glean that the disciples had, is that the Messiah would come and he would establish his glorious kingdom. So when the Messiah would come, you would read of of him conquering the nations, putting the Gentiles in subjection. There would be great um, times of blessing on the world that no one had seen since the Garden of Eden. Israel would be the centerpiece of, of, of the world, and all the nations would come before and bow down before the king. That was what they expected. They were looking at things and seeing the beginning and seeing the end but missing a lot in the middle. But Jesus is showing them in this revelation that the Son of Man does indeed come. There will be the blessings that are promised in the Scriptures. And Jesus is saying, there's some of you who won't die until you see the kingdom of God coming with great power. So they might still be thinking in terms of those lines. that So, okay, well, maybe it's not today, but maybe in a day or two, It'll come. Maybe some of us, before we die, will see um, see this, what we've been waiting for. But what Jesus is doing is revealing to them that the suffering that must take place by the Son of Man is not incompatible with the glory that they have in mind. So if you picture... Um, the Messiah will come, they thought the Messiah will come and there's the glorious kingdom. But what Jesus is saying is there in the middle, you're missing something. The Messiah comes, then the Son of Man must suffer. Then you have what you're looking for. You are, the disciples were not taking into consideration his very mission in coming as the Lamb of God. That the Son of Man must first suffer. And so here's the revelation that he's given to them, that, that you will see the kingdom of God come in power, but know first that the Son of Man must, must suffer. Well, then in verses 2 through 4, we have the revelation of the Son. So we have revelation of suffering, we have revelation of Son. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up into a, a tall mountain. He took them off alone. So... Um, so far in Mark, you see that Jesus would take the disciples off alone and he would reveal something to them. And so he took the disciples off alone and asked, who do men say that I am? And there was the confession that, that uh, Peter said, thou art the Christ. You know, the, the things that they saw in the boats. But now he's going to take three of the disciples and take them up in the mountain alone. Then something amazing happens. It's hard for me to, to even... Con- to think about this and to, to imagine it. But Jesus was transfigured before their very eyes. His appearance changed before him. His clothes started to shine. Whiter than anybody could get their, their whites. Right? They, you can't bleach your clothes this white. 
And Matthew tells us that Jesus' face began to shine like the sun. And there, with Jesus, appeared Elijah and Moses. And so all three of them there are talking, and Luke tells us they're talking about his death. That he's on his way to Jerusalem, and Elijah and Moses were not talking about the kingdom, they were talking about his death. And so here you have Jesus shining in a way that we just can't hardly imagine, this light emanating from him. Moses and Elijah talking to him about his death. It's just amazing to consider. I know this isn't the point, but it's very comforting to me to read this and think that Peter and the James and John knew who was standing there. Even though Jesus was shining like the sun, and his, his very clothes even were shining forth, they still knew it was, it was Jesus. It still was Jesus. They didn't say, well, who is this figure? No, it was Jesus. And then they saw Elijah and Moses. And Peter and James and John said, hey, that's Elijah and Moses. Well, how did they know it was Elijah and Moses? Well, they knew. I don't know how they, they, they knew. But it was, they didn't say, well, there's an angel. They didn't say, um, look, at these, uh, look at these guys with their wings, and they must be, they must be men that have uh, gone on and got their angels' wings. No, it's Elijah and Moses. And they knew it was Elijah and Moses. They didn't become something else when they, when they passed from this world to the next. They were still Elijah and Moses. And Peter recognized them as Elijah and Moses. And they talked with Jesus. And, and the reason that's comforting to me is to know that even though we will be changed, we're not going to be annihilated. That we'll recognize one another. We'll be alive. We're not going to be changed into something other than human beings. It'll be better. We'll be glorified. We'll be without sin. Our hearts will be right. Our minds will be right. But we'll know each other. We'll know each other in glory. And when we're all standing before the King, all those that we know and love will, will be there that have gone on before in Christ and are safe in Christ, and we'll see Him again. And we'll know them. Know them in, in, in a better way. So, uh, like I said, it's not the point, but it is comforting to me to think about that. But there Jesus is shining forth in all of his glory. So that's a revelation of the sun. Jesus is showing us something about himself here. Well, in verses 5 through 8, we have a revelation of the Father. Or by the Father. Peter says, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles. We'll make one for each of you. Why? I don't know. I don't even know if Peter knew why. I've been in situations like that. You don't know what to say, and you just say something, and, and it's probably not the right thing to say, but that's the way Peter was. He wanted to do something, say something, and he didn't know what to say, and he was afraid. It would have been a fearful thing to behold. I mean, it, it would have been very terrifying 
to behold what's going on. And Peter says, let's, let's make tabernacles. Seeing something so out of the ordinary, it would have been fearful. And maybe Peter was thinking, well, we'll have tabernacles. That way we won't die because of this great glory that we're seeing, this great shining forth. Maybe, maybe we won't die to look upon and gaze upon the Lord. I don't know, but as soon as he said that, this cloud overshadowed. And whatever Peter was thinking, whatever uh, he wanted to do is quickly put to rest. Um, you know, Peter was just talking, and then the Father speaks, and then Peter's going to be quiet. This is my beloved son, the Father says. Hear him. So We're not going to listen to Peter. We're not going to follow his guide. He said, this is my beloved son. So this is a revelation of God the Father. This. What you, what you are beholding, the, the glory shining forth from Jesus, this is my beloved son. This is who my beloved son has been and always will be. This is my beloved son. Jesus did not become the son when he took on flesh. It's hard to, to wrap our minds around this, but Jesus is, I mean, how else could you um, put this into, into terminology? He's not like you and I. He, he is eternal. You and I came into existence when we were born. We, there was no eternal place where you and I dwelt, and then we came from some other place and then come to our mother's womb. But Jesus is eternal. He is the Son and always has been the Son. And the Son was made flesh. And the Father says, this is my beloved Son. They saw his glory. The Father, and the Father said, the, the glory which you see, shining forth, this is my beloved Son. In John 17, Jesus prayed, Father, glorify thou me with thy own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So when Jesus in the upper room was praying to the Father, he said, glorify me with the glory that I had whenever I was with you before the world was even created. This is my beloved Son. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. And this glory which the disciples saw in the Son was the glory that he had before he came. He is the Word. As John said in John 1, Gospel John, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The Word the eternally begotten Son, speaking of the relations of, of Jesus and the Father, the, the eternal Son comes, He is the Word, and He is made flesh. And so He was, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He dwelt in Mary's womb for nine months or so. He was born, and she cleaned Him up and held Him and bundled him up in those swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. She fed him, 
she taught him to talk and taught him to walk and, and he, he grew just like a, a, a boy would grow. He grew in wisdom and stature. All the while, being in his divine nature, he who created all things and holds all things together. This is my beloved son. This is he who has come to give you everlasting life. You listen to him. Hear him. There was Moses, the mediator of the old covenant. Whenever I was little and I learned about Moses in Sunday school, I used to think, would it be all right to talk to Moses? Moses saw some things. Moses did some things. That's pretty amazing. I'd like to hear Moses tell me about some of the things that he saw and he did. And there was Moses, the mediator of the old covenant. Wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. He was the lawgiver who spoke with God on the mountain. Moses went up on the mountain too, and Moses had a cloud descend upon him, and Moses talked to God, and Moses saw um, partially the glory of God, and Moses came down from the mountain, and his face was shining because he had been in the presence of God. But the father said, you listen to Jesus. You listen to my beloved son. Then there was Elijah, the prophet of God, who um, who went forth and did great miracles and, and challenged the, uh, Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. God says, this is my beloved son, you hear him. And so there was the lawgiver, there was the prophet. The father says, you hear him, just like, um, and I, I've read it a couple of times, I'll read it one more in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18, where the Lord uh, was saying that he would send another prophet. And the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee like thy brethren, like unto me, and to him ye shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly. Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak unto them all that I have commanded him. And so the people of Israel couldn't go up on the mountain. They were afraid. They said, if we go up there, we'll die. Send somebody else to speak for us. And then Moses was that man, but God said, there's going to be another prophet that's going to come along. And you're going to listen to him. Here the father says, here's my beloved son, hear him. Listen to him. He is the son. He is the prophet. He is the Messiah. He takes the preeminence over Elijah and Moses. That would be an amazing thing to see Elijah and Moses. But, but they're in the background. They're with the saints. Uh, just like um, Peter and James and John. It is Jesus who is preeminent there. And so the Father reveals to us who the Son is and always has been. So it's a revelation by God the Father himself. In verses 9 through 13, we have a revelation through the Scriptures. By the Spirit, explained by the Son. So as soon as the Father speaks, 
Suddenly it was all over. Moses and Elijah are gone. Jesus was back to the way he was before. And they start walking down the hill. And so Jesus tells them again, don't tell anybody what you've seen. Not yet anyway. Wait until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Then you're going to tell what you saw up here. So they kept it to themselves. They, they didn't tell anybody else, but they did talk amongst themselves. And they wondered, what's rising from the dead mean? And I always kind of chuckled when I read that because Jesus said, don't say anything until the Son of Man rises from the dead. And they said, well, I wonder what he means by rising from the dead. And you know, I kind of took it that, that they were that being that hard-headed that they didn't even understand exactly what the Lord was saying and trying and confusing it. But, but I don't think they puzzled over what it meant for Jesus to rise from the dead. Or I don't think they puzzled what it meant to rise from the dead, rather. I don't think they were troubled by the resurrection. Lazarus' sister wasn't puzzled by that. She believed in the resurrection. So that was something that faithful people believed in, except the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and they were enemies with the Pharisees because of it. So they weren't puzzling about the resurrection. I think they puzzled over when and what manner Jesus was talking about. What does he mean when the son of man were risen from the dead? Again, they thought the son of man would come, establish his kingdom. So how is it that the son of man is also going to rise from the dead? What does that mean? How is it that you can take Mark 7 and or not Mark, Daniel 7 and Daniel 9. The Son of Man come in glory, but also the Son of Man be cut off. I think this is what they were puzzling at. Was Jesus talking about the rising of the dead in the last day? Was he talking about the end and the final resurrection? Is Jesus saying that this is the end of the world? I was thinking about this, and maybe... An illustration you might be able to use is like a jigsaw puzzle. And at the beginning of the gospel, the disciples didn't even have all the pieces out of the box yet. They had a piece here and a piece here, but most of the pieces were still in the box for them. Well, by now, all the pieces are dumped out on the table. They're all spread out. And I think they've about got them all flipped over the right way. But it's still not together. And so as Jesus tells them, the Son of Man must suffer. You know, that's a corner piece. That the Son of Man must die, that's a corner piece. Now they have the, the revelation of the Son, seeing Him in all of His glory, that's a piece. And, and now they're kind of getting the colors in the right order. They still don't see everything all together yet. But at least they've got all the pieces that are before them. I, and I kind of think that's where they're at now. And as, as we have the revelation, again, of the, of the Father in his audible voice and seeing the Son as he is and hearing him preach, Jesus is the Christ. They have that part. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of Man. They have that part. There is a glorious kingdom in the resurrection. They have that part. 
They have heard the scribes say that Elijah has to come first. And now they're wondering, how does that fit? Here's the piece where the scribes are saying, Elijah has to come back first. Well, if you're the, if you're the son of man, and the kingdom is at hand, and Elijah has to come back, well, where does this fit in in this, uh, in this timeline? And I think that's what they were asking about, which makes sense. Which makes, verse 11 makes sense. So they were thinking about what does he mean by the rising of the dead and why does Elijah have to come first? Well, Jesus agrees with the scribes. He says, well, the scribes are correct. And the scribes are correct because they're just going by scripture. On the last book of the Old Testament, uh, Malachi chapter number four, the last two verses of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So Jesus says that is correct because they're just saying what the scriptures say. But then he adds something to that. Yes, the scriptures say that Elijah comes first and how it is written, the son of man, that he must suffer many things and be sought at naught. So that's something else that is in the middle of this um, timeline that they're trying to put together. The Messiah comes and now Jesus says, yes, and Elijah will come. That's true. And yes, the son of man must suffer many things. And he must be despised and rejected or set at naught. Just like Isaiah says. But the scribes say that because um, they know what the text says, but they don't understand what it means. Elijah has come, but Elijah's John the Baptist. The scribes were looking for Elijah the Tishbite to come back but the sense of the passage was that a prophet in the spirit and power of Elijah would come and that's what Jesus explains in verse 13 Elijah has indeed come that prophet the greatest of prophets John the Baptist has come in the spirit and power of Elijah one who would prepare the way of the Lord and he did come and when he came, they did whatever they wanted to with him. And what they wanted to do was murder him. John came, and they persecuted him, and they killed him. And just as John came as the forerunner of Christ in the spirit and power of Elijah, prophesying and making of people ready for the Lord, declaring this is the Messiah who has come, the Lamb of God. They put him to death, and so will the Son of Man. He will suffer a great many things, just like it was written. So twice in verse 12 and verse 13, Jesus refers back to the Old Testament Scriptures. The Son of Man must suffer. He goes back, this is what was foretold. 
The Son of Man is going to have to suffer a great many things just like it was written. People, he's going to be despised and rejected just like it was written. Jesus isn't changing anything. He's not modifying the plan. He's given us the true meaning of what those texts meant. And so the scribes had the word, but they just didn't understand the meaning of it. Jesus gives us the true meaning of, of that passage. David Garland said the transfiguration and the crucifixion both connect the glory and his inglorious death. Here in the transfiguration, Jesus is exalted. He's surrounded by the saints. He's clothed with radiance. And in the crucifixion, he's humiliated, surrounded by sinners, wrapped in darkness. Here the Father says, this is my beloved Son. There the Roman centurion says, behold, uh, the Son of God. And this is what Jesus is pointing them to. This revelation of himself that he must suffer. He must die for us that he might be raised from the dead. So Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And just six days earlier, they said, well, some people think you're Elijah. And then when Jesus is crucified and he cries out, they said, oh, he's crying out for Elijah. Let's see if Elijah shows up. Well, they're, they're still looking for him. And they miss the fact that it is Jesus that, that has come. And it was John that pointed to him. Elijah suffered like a prophet. He was persecuted. And he was carried up in a chair of fire. Now he stands with Jesus and Moses. That Moses suffered. Elijah suffered. John the Baptist suffered. And Jesus, the Son of Man, is going to suffer. It's a revelation from the Old Testament Scriptures. The scriptures testify of Jesus. And so now Jesus says, Jesus says, I will show you who I am. The Father says, this is my beloved Son. He reveals us who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit, through the, the testimony of the, the Old Testament, explained to us by Jesus, tells us who Jesus is. The Son of Man must suffer. That's the revelation, the explanation of the Old Testament in the light of the work of the Son of God in redemption. You and I are so blessed this morning, blessed beyond measure, that we can see the Scriptures in the light of the Son of God. That we don't have to look at that in darkness. We don't have to look at it and scratch our head and wonder what it means. But we can have the Scriptures and look at the revelation of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, we see him coming in history and in time to fulfill what he has set out to do as our Redeemer, as, as the mediator of the, the new covenant, that he has died and he has risen again, and we have the explanation of these things in the, the New Testament. We have the new covenant promises and the blessings of the indwelling Holy Spirit. All these things shedding light on our God and our King. 
Jesus transfigured is a revelation of who Jesus is. See, when Moses went up in the mountain, he went up there to be with God, and the divine presence was there in the mountain, and it was covered up in a cloud. When Moses came down from the mountain, his face was shining because he had been in God's presence. Moses was shining, I think, like, like the moon. He was reflecting the presence or the glory of, uh, of the Lord. Jesus' face was shining like the sun, that his face, his, his glory shone from within. He wasn't reflecting a light from an outside source. A light wasn't shining down from heaven, reflecting off of him and made, and made his clothes. His clothes shine because he was uh, revealed there for who he is from within, his glory. Back in John 1.14, John says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of the only begotten of the Father is his radiance um, as the divine person. They saw this glory. The Apostle Paul saw this glory um, on the road to Damascus when suddenly that light shined about him as a light from heaven. And then in Acts 22, 11, Paul says, I could not see for, that, for the glory of that light. Well, it was the Lord. He saw that light. Listen to what it says in Revelation 21, in verse 23. And that city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Chapter 22, and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads and there shall be no light there and they need no candle, neither the light of the sun for the Lord God giveth them light and they shall shine forever and ever. There in the new heavens and the new earth, there'll be no sun. There's not going to be need for sun. There's not going to be need for artificial light. The light will be the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. They beheld the glory of God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. We see here not a revelation of what Jesus could be or what he would be, but we see a revelation of who he is. I like how one man put it. He said the tendency is to see the transfiguration as unique an unusual moment in the normal life of Jesus. But the transfiguration reveals Christ most clearly. Nothing is new. Nothing new is added to Jesus at this transfiguration. It's not like Jesus was one thing and then something new was added to him to make him shine and that, that thing then was taken away. But what happened was what he already was and what he has always been Becomes, was made manifest to them. Jesus partaking in the Father's glory, like it says in 2 Peter 1. But Jesus, the divine Father, the Father's glory is his glory. Jesus is the, the, the divine Son, rather, and the Father's glory is his glory. See, the Father revealed 
who the Son is. So when they saw Jesus shining forth, the Father explained, this is my beloved Son. And then whenever they were walking down the mountains, Jesus said, this is what the Scriptures say. That, so that's the, the Spirit testifying of Jesus. And then Jesus reveals the meaning of the text. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, let me um, read that. Because that, that um, ties all this together. Verse 16 of 2 Peter 1. Peter says, We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter said, I'm not making this up. We're not following stories. I was an eyewitness to his glory. I saw it. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So Peter saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. They heard he heard the voice of God the Father in his holy mount. And he says, We also have a more sure word of prophecy, wherein you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. He said, But we have a light. We have a more sure witness. I heard it, but you have a witness. You have a light. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men as they spake, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So there, the Old Testament is the testimony of the prophets spoke as they were moved of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit's testimony in the Old Testament, the Son's testimony, the Son's explanation of the Old Testament, the Father's testimony, and viewing the Son with their very own eyes. This is who Jesus is. Something new didn't happen, but it was revealed who he always was. And so, Hebrews 1, God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. God spoke in different times and different ways through the prophets. As they were moved by the Holy Ghost, they spoke the words of God. But God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. So now we have the revelation of the Old Testament. We, we hear him through his Son. Well, who is his Son? Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had purged himself, purged when he had himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So this is a revelation of who Jesus is. He is the, the, the express image of his person. When they beheld Jesus shining forth, they beheld the glory of God. That was the glory um, of the, the Father. For when we see Jesus, we see God. So what Jesus has revealed here is that, yes, Elijah will come, but that was John the Baptist. And then the Son of Man must suffer. He must die. 
for our sins. He must be our sacrifice. He must be the Lamb of God. And then he's going to rise again. But then he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And his people will remain and will preach the truth and look for his coming, and he's going to come back. And one of these days in the future, he will come back again to this world, and he will step foot on this earth, and then we'll have that glorious kingdom. They saw the beginning and they saw the end, and it was all squished together for them looking this way, but if they turned it this way, they could see there was a lot in the middle they, they weren't thinking about. They, were, they missed the suffering. They missed the, the going forth and preaching the gospel. They missed the ascension. So the transfiguration, we see the matchless love of God in Christ. We see a glimpse of the Son's humiliation on our behalf. We see the necessity of the Son being made like his brethren. The Word made flesh dwelt among us. We see the glory of the eternal Son, who did not subtract his divinity, but added his humanity. Now, people take Philippians 2 and say, well, Jesus took on the form of a servant, and he, they'll say that he emptied himself of all of his divinity and came to the earth. But that's not true because he, uh, we see that he did not empty himself of his divinity. You can't. A divine person can't become undivine. So what do we have here? We have the fact that Jesus assumed a human nature. He didn't subtract deity. He didn't lay it aside. But the divine person of the Son of God assumed human nature. And so for a brief moment, they, they saw the glory of the, of the eternal God. Jesus was still Jesus, but he has the divine nature and the human nature. And we see, we see this revealed to us because the Son of Man must come and he must die. He had to take on flesh. We see the great plan of redemption. We can understand the Trinitary work and the, the Trinitarian work of redemption in the person of Christ. We see how the Father sent the Son, and the Son came and, and assumed flesh, and he lived the perfect life, and he died for our sins, and that he rose again from the dead. And we see that, that Jesus didn't become God, he didn't. Um, lay aside his divinity, but the word was made flesh. He assumed that human nature. So Jesus Christ, our Lord, our judge, is also our Savior. We see the glory of Christ. When Peter wrote that second letter, he saw the glory of Christ. And we can, through the scriptures, hear God and see that glory, though by faith. By faith, we can see the glory of God. We won't see a vision. We won't see Jesus with our natural eyes. But by faith, we can behold his glory. Jesus prayed that those that the Father had given him will one day be with him, that they may behold my glory. One day we will behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ. John Owen said, One of the greatest privileges and advances of believers both of this world and eternity, consists in beholding the glory of Christ. Both now by faith and then in reality, 
we will behold his glory. That's what Jesus prayed. Father, I pray that they will behold my glory. By Christ we are transformed. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18 it says, But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed in the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. By Christ and beholding his glory we are transformed. The ultimate end of that prayer of Jesus is to behold the glory of Christ in sight. For in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we see through a glass darkly. But then, face to face, now we know in part, but then we'll know even as we are known. And we can read this passage and meditate on this glory that this is the beloved son. This is our Jesus. This is our Savior. And one day we will see Jesus. And one day all of our troubles and our trials and our suffering will be over. One day we'll be glorified and live forever in our resurrected bodies. Because the son humbled himself and assumed human nature and walked and talked in his humanity and lived in his humanity and he hungered and he thirsted and he suffered a great many things and he was despised and he was rejected and he was persecuted and he was lied about and he did all these things for you, child of God. And he did all these things that he might heal us, that we might have life, that we might be forgiven. The Son in all of His glory lived in this sin-cursed world and bore our sins in His own body and lived for us and died for us and now sits at the right hand of the, the, of the glory of the Father. And one day we'll see Him face to face and one day we'll walk in the new Jerusalem and in the new heavens and the new, we'll walk upon the new earth and you and I will see each other and know each other and we'll worship together. And we'll dwell in e through all eternity in the light of the glory of the Son of God. That's what we have here this morning. That's the hope that we have. That's what we saw up there on that mountain. That, that's what he did for us. And we have trials and troubles and temptations and heartaches and, and physical problems. We have all of these things. Jesus said that we would. But know that we have everlasting life. And we will behold the glory of the Son of God face to face. Even so, come Lord Jesus.